to deliberate. I had a lot of questions then that required contemplation. The age of five was a busy year for me. I was on the young end of the class starting first grade that year, and I was a bit overwhelmed by the responsibilities. I was left-handed, too, so I wrote from the right to the left across the page. My numbers were backward, too, so the teacher would have to correct my arithmetic papers in the mirror. I had a small head and ears that stuck out like two little chunks of cauliflower on a very small globe, and that concerned me as well. This look was only aggravated by the Paris Island butch haircut that my parents seemed to find so fashionable. There was also a girl in our first grade class, a bit diminutive in height with buck teeth and profoundly hairy legs. A seemingly inborn cruelty of five- and six-year-olds made them swarm to her like wild dogs of Moramy around an emotional kill, and I was always torn between the need to participate with the crowd and my empathy for her loneliness. But there was another particularly poignant problem brewing for me. The class was a pretty unruly one, even for kids at such a young age. When the teacher left the room on her break, as teachers did back then, the class was left alone in the room with instructions to work quietly at our desks and not to make a sound, or we'd all have to stay after school. I would tie my hands into a blood knot and pray to what little I understood of God that everyone would be quiet just this once. But staying after school meant missing the bus. Missing the bus was like falling off the edge of the earth, because I didn't know how I was going to get home. I wasn't even sure where I lived, and if I couldn't get home, where would I eat? Inevitably, the teacher would return to a classroom that kind of looked like the evacuation of Saigon. The girl with the hairy legs was still working quietly at her desk. I was slumped over mine with my head buried in my arms to make it quite crystal clear to the teacher that I had been even quieter than quiet. I was almost asleep and really, really, really innocent of the mayhem that was going on around me. It didn't matter. There was punishment for one and punishment for all. We would stay after school and I would never see my family or my dog again. In my mind, it was case closed. The injustice of the moment was too much for me to bear. I burst out in tears loud enough for everyone to hear, loud enough for even the little girl with the hairy legs to feel sorry for me. The five minutes the teacher kept us in our seats in silence after the bell rang passed by drip by drip. I split my focus between the firmness of her stare and the presence of the yellow bus out the window, almost full. Finally, she said class dismissed, but I heard, Go ye and live another day. The school bus waited. The guilty and the not guilty loaded on and I made it home. But I figured this was just a one-time reprieve, so every day when the teacher left for her coffee and a smoke, I would plead with the rank and file for quiet, which only served to fan the flames of misconduct. The teacher returned, I would cry, we would stay after school. In fact, one of the kids actually told me that most of the kids talked because they liked to see me cry. And this was pretty much the cycle of first grade and my first taste of social inequity. So there was a lot to reflect upon at the pond. There I would write songs in my head and an occasional poem, but mostly I would just wonder about things and try to catch turtles. My mother later remarked that one of the neighborhood mothers said that I was always so sad. Well, I wasn't sad. I was just thinking and trying to catch turtles. And I was never alone. It was on these paths that I would walk for hours after school and all weekend long with Taffy, a dachshund, and my first dog. I always thought Taffy was built a little funny. Short spindly legs and a long chestnut-packing tube of a body gave her a kind of brisk, Side-to-side side saunter as she quietly followed behind me, never questioning my route, never missing the meaning of every moment.
I would ask her questions while I sat on the rocky point that leaned out over the pond. Questions like, if I was supposed to be an actor, which I knew I was, that light bulb went off in my head at the age of three. Then why wasn't I picked for a speaking part in the class skit, Four and Twenty Blackbirds? Well, Taffy could always tell when I was asking her a question, she would tilt her head slightly as if it allowed her to grasp my dilemma a bit better. Then she'd quietly stare without blinking, just long enough to show that she cared. She wasn't able to give me the answer, which was that the teacher picked the cast with the speaking parts from the top reading group, while I was still trying to figure out which side of the page to start from. But the answer wasn't important. I became an actor in spite of that momentary setback, although I find myself humming that nursery rhyme from time to time, half wondering if it impacted my career. Perhaps that will always be my Hamlet. No matter now. Taffy was teaching me through silence and companionship that problems and disappointments lose their power when they're put into words. It was a good lesson to learn young, that answers are not always important, they will come. When we verbalize a worry, we remove it from our imagination where it grows and festers and seems to do us the most harm. So I would talk to Taffy as much as she would listen. Despite her unassuming wisdom, she would never seem to get out of her own way. Taffy seemed to get into trouble a lot. Most of the time, it really wasn't her fault. Most of the time, it involved a skunk of some sort. The woods around the pond were filled with them. Taffy was as curious as she was defensive of her turf. She was a sucker for a skunk. And in the summer, it seemed almost once a month that my father was marinating her in tomato juice to cut the smell from her latest douse of curiosity. The skunk was a perplexing creature to me as well, even at five. I was told in school that everything had a purpose, but for the life of me, I couldn't figure out what purpose was served by a skunk in the many plateaus of life. As I have grown older, I can't imagine what part of the food chain would greatly be upset if we removed them altogether. And to make matters worse, God seemed to have compounded this mistake by replicating it as vegetation. The woods around the pond were quilted with large, green, leafy clusters called skunk cabbage which also smelled like its mammalian counterpart when attacked by the heel of a shoe. Now, Taffy saw everything from the altitude of about ten inches, except on those occasions when I would pick her up and give her a rarefied view of the world from my height. As I would beat down a path in front of me, inevitably I would clip off a leaf of skunk cabbage. Taffy would get the drippings, and my father would once again have to make her a part of a large galvanized Bloody Mary. Taffy left the house one day in the company of my father after she bit a mailman. Matchy didn't return. It really crushed me. I remember walking down by the pond, realizing that she wasn't going to be there anymore. I didn't get much of an explanation from my parents except that biting mailmen was wrong, and to this date I have never bitten one. I guess Taffy taught me that too. We moved after first grade to another state, so... I lost the pond, too. I've thought of Taffy and the pond, now inseparable in memory, often, often over many years. I think of how fortunate I was to have both a companion and a space at one of those pivotal points in one's personal story. It was a time when I was filled with wonder and struggle to make sense of circumstances and first-time feelings. It was a time when it was easy to become your circumstances as I did with my buried head on my first-grade desk. It was also a time that exposed me to several great life lessons. I recall Taffy's doe-eyed look as I talked to her about all manner of things, 
and I learned that the gift is in the listening and not the answering. I learned not to empower a problem by silence, but to put it out there in the world with words. And as I would take a half look over my shoulder to see her picking her way through the skunk cabbage, pausing only briefly for a significant smell, I learned from Taffy that every journey has a reason, and to pause often enough not to miss the meaning of every moment. And to this day, I hope the same for the girl with the hairy legs. I've had several dogs since Taffy, and two presently. As I write this, two sets of eyes are staring me down. The black one is Betty, a stray from the Hollywood Hills, rescued six years ago. She's actually a dachshund black lab mix, if you can imagine anything more painful than that. I'm guessing Mom was just a very slow dachshund, or if it was Dad, it was the luckiest leap he ever made. But she's a happy mix, resembling a lab puppy both in her size and energy. Betty was frail, shell-shocked, and bearded, yes, bearded, when she was rescued. No one knows how many weeks or months she spent hiding from the coyotes. Today, I suspect she reflects the simple joy for life of any creature that has been near death. She stares at me right now, waiting for any indication that I might leave the chair or the room. She would then pick up in an instant and follow me, as if to reassure me that anything I wanted to do was much more interesting than her plans. And then there's Koshi, a little white Maltese with an alpha personality at an age that is starting to quell. He's been everywhere with me. His stare is mostly a squint now. Another nap is on its way, and as long as I sit in this chair and write, I'm moving at his speed. I think because I've been in the company of dogs my whole life, and because I still wonder at life's simple truths, I find that the two are inseparable. I've had other pets. I was preoccupied with turtles in the pond and toads in the woods. But turtles teach you a little. And if you're a five-year-old, you can catch them.